Shallowy driving it toward the back post for Zussi, who puts it back across, and Shelton slots it home! Zussi can have a hit from here, he does, and Graham Zussi re-elect! Graham Zussi! Shallowy knocks it in! The Hungarian assassin has given Sporting KC the lead! It's Russell! This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And by Casey's own CBD American Shaman. Score yourself free samples of great all-natural CBD products at a CBD American Shaman near you. CBD American Shaman. Everything is better with the feather. Now your host, Nate Bucati. up sporting fans welcome back into another edition of the sporting kansas city show presented by michelob ultra it's only worth it if you enjoy it thank you so much for listening on sports radio 810 or watching on the sporting kansas city app or also listening wherever you get your podcast i'm ali trost martin that's connell mccourt no nate bukady this week he is uh he's big time in us yeah he's, he's, jet setting. <laughs> jet he's out setting. of here he's uh but off to do really exciting things. He's going to call the Atlanta United-Philadelphia Union game on Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this show. That is tomorrow. Which Philadelphia most likely will win 6-0 anyway, so it's fine. Philadelphia Union, I mean, my gosh. Flying. This year, four six-goal victories. It's like, like, the, it's like the Oprah meme, and you get a 6-0, and you get you a 6-0. Get a six no, no. I, they, so they're flying. Nada will have plenty of it. If they keep this form up, Nate's going to have plenty of goal calls come Wednesday night. That game is on Fox. So be sure to tune in and listen to our good friend Nate Bucati uh, for some midweek MLS action. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we've also got a awesome show lined up for you today. We're going to talk about Sporting Kansas City's most recent result, a 1-0 win at home against the San Jose Earthquakes. That, of course, was following another big win that they had at home against the Portland Timbers, 4-1. So first time this season, Sporting Kansas City gets back-to-back back wins. Back, yeah. Hey, not to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, the uh, the Western Conference table, things could get a little interesting as we uh, as we roll through the final weeks of the season up to decision day sporting kansas city with their win over san jose moves out of last place in the western conference up two spots and they now sit as of tuesday eight points behind the playoff line so uh the team sitting in seventh place right now la galaxy who sporting will travel to take on next weekend in los angeles that's going to be a big game and kind of i'm pretty sure sporting's final games of the season outside of their match against dc united on a Tuesday night, all of their games remaining are against Western Conference opponents. So oh, going to be yeah. a, a crazy end to the season. Yeah, all Western Conference teams, and they'll all be playing each other. They'll all be taking points off each other. So nothing set in stone just yet. So not as you said, not getting ahead of ourselves. Let's just go to the next game. and Crazier things have happened. Points. Look, I'm an optimist, okay? I'm I'm always going to think this way. I simply cannot help it. But, you know, as Daniel Shalwey said after the game, there's really no pressure on the team right now. No one's really expecting them to go out and, and make this huge run. All they can do is just focus on each game ahead of them and try to walk away with as many points as possible. And like I said, anything can happen. But let's focus on the game that did happen, and they did get the win. San Jose Earthquakes 0, Sporting Kansas City 1. Daniel Shallowy, uh putting away the game-winning goal in that one. That 
Uh, that game winner ties him now with Precky and Dom Dwyer for most game-winning goals in club history. Connell, what did you make of Sporting's performance in that one? I thought they'd done well. Uh, I thought they grounded out at times when they had to, but I thought they were in control of the game for large, large parts of it. Um, obviously, second half, you're 1-0 up. San Jose are going to try and apply a little bit of pressure, but I thought the defense coped well. I thought there was some smart, uh, shrewd substitutions made um, just to kind of try and shore up the back line and stuff. I thought they'd done well. I mean, the last few weeks, it's been goals, goals, goals. And I think coming into this game, we kind of expected the same just because of how much San Jose score and concede. But when it came to it, it was one goal that ended up getting the winner. And I wouldn't exactly say backs to the wall for sporting for a while, but it, they did need to, to uh, defend well. They needed to be picking up men and be intense for the whole game. Could have been rounded out with uh, Graham Susie oh. delightful ball in the EC to make it 2-0. But look... We take the rough with the smooth, and 1-0 ends up being enough to take the three points on the day, which I'm sure we just move on to the next one. Peter Vermees and, and the lads are happy. That had to be one of the, the more beautiful uh, no-goal goals oh. of the of the year. I mean, that was just a perfect delivery by Graham Zussi. Could have been the third straight game that Sporting Kansas City gets a goal scored by a center back. Mm -hmm. uh, is you taking a, taking a page out of Fonte's book. Watch out <laughs> yeah, coming, coming for you. For you. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, no, but, you know, great effort and as Peter said after the game he, he really felt the team was hungry in both boxes I think you could see some of that defensive commitment and, and a couple of mistakes maybe gave San Jose a few chances um, John Polskamp comes up with uh, you know some good moments in that game gets the clean sheet which you know I think was well deserved after Portland pulled one back in what could have been a 4 nothing win over the Timbers mm -hmm. uh, the week prior so just a, a good effort from Sporting Kansas City and, and I think good for them as well to to get a win like that to, to get a win where, yeah, they only score one goal, but it, it, you know, and I don't know if you got the sense, Connell, but in some of those games earlier in the month of August where they're scoring all these goals, but, you know, kind of letting teams back in a little bit, it almost didn't feel like they were safe with a two or even three goal lead. Uh, so to be able to protect a one nil lead for, for such a, a long stretch of that game, I, I think showed a lot about how much this team has, how far this team has come. For sure. And I mean, they proved something, in that, they proved something to a lot of the doubters on the outside, they, but they probably proved a good bit to themselves as well. I mean, 1-0 up at home. They've won a couple of games 1-0 at home this year, so they know they can do it, but it just seems like forever since it's happened. I mean, we were talking before about the 1-0 win at Houston, 1-0... Against Houston RSL, at, too, at, yeah. At RSL, so... It, they have won these games this year. They know what it's like, but just with it being so long, and then as you said, the month of August, it just seems like it was goals galore going in everywhere. So to kind of to get ahead, get our noses in front, and kind of they kept testing, trying to test the waters and and get that second goal, but it ended up one was enough, and they had to do their due diligence in defending and repel everything that San Jose had to throw at them. And to be fair to them, they done it well. I thought Logan coming on. For Ben Sweat at that stage, you know, to try and nullify the attack and threat that Christian Espinosa thought that was a really good substitution. Um, but the rest of the defence, I thought everybody stepped up. And John Poolskamp, look, it's gonna that's gonna happen in games. You know, you're gonna having to stay switched on and having to make that big save when it matters. We've seen Tim Melia do it over the years, mm -hmm. so it was a big opportunity for Poolskamp and really delighted for him that he got the clean sheet. Yeah, no, I think that was. Uh you know, like you said, great moment from him. And, and we've seen him have games this season where he's come up with those big saves. But uh, the game at Real Salt Lake comes to mind where he had so many, I can't remember the exact number, but he had a record number of saves oh, yeah. in the first half. And, you know, it just wasn't quite enough as Salt Lake 
Uh, just had a lot of opportunity in that game. But, you know, Pulse Camp's shown the ability to make those big saves in those big moments. So happy that it, it then led to a clean sheet in this game for Sporting Kansas City. And a team of the week performance from new midfielder Eric Tommy. He set match highs in shot attempts, shot, uh, chances created, passing accuracy, duels won, and recoveries. I mean, to be on the ball so much, and I, I want to say he had somewhat somewhere around like 30 or so passes before he... Uh, one was incomplete in that game. I mean, he was all over the place. He, of course, you know, had a, a huge role in setting up uh, the, the game-winning goal for Daniel Shallowy. And just, I mean, the impact that he's had on the game, Willie Agata, and really the way that the whole team has elevated uh, since those guys have arrived has just been fantastic. And after the game, Daniel Shallowy was asked about the impact that those guys have made. And he said that while they've been fantastic, it's really going to take the entire team coming in and having those big moments if they want to keep winning. We need more and more players to score the goals and, uh, and, and, and be the man of the match if, if that's it. And uh, sometimes it's one guy and next week it's another guy. But, um, you know, this, they are a great addition to the team and I think uh, they can help us on this last stretch. And, um, yeah, as I said... Um, this, this game, it was me. Last week, it was somebody else. Next week, hopefully somebody else. But let's just get, get wins and then keep going. So there is Daniel Shallowy. He's the one who had the, uh, the, the big play, if you want to call it, I guess, in that game and said that, look, it, next week it could be somebody else and the week after that could be somebody else. And the team will be better if that is the case. Oh, 100%. I mean, some... From the doubters from the outside, it's kind of a lot of the flack that's been thrown Sporting's way this year has been if you're able to nullify Daniel and Johnny, then you kind of nullify our team in general. With these two new guys coming in, Tommy and Agata, it's given defences more to think about. It's given some guys, obviously, they haven't played in MLS a lot, so there's not a lot of tape on them and stuff. Obviously, they've played in other leagues and stuff, but how they're going to slot into this team, and it just gives other coaches and other teams a bit more to think about, and more credit, all credit to the lads. Like, they've came in, Tommy, I don't know, he just looks laser-focused. He knows exactly what he wants to do. Uh, he's been phenomenal ever since coming in. Seems like he covers every blade of grass. And then Willie, not just with his temperament coming in and kind of brightening up the place, like, he... Just his work on the field, his discipline to stay, stay in position, not always go chasing the ball, you know. And and when we're out of possession, he's relentless trying to get it back. But he also does well in maintaining his position up front as that focal point. I mean, it makes defenders they want it, they want him to go, they don't want to follow him too much, you know. So he's staying up there, giving them something to worry about, and giving more, giving more space for the midfield trio who we've seen uh, just be able to dictate play and kind of uh, get their put their stamp on the game and that's it's kind of it's worked well that midfield trio of Remy and Roger and uh, Tommy so long may it continue and as I said all credit to the lads that have came in yeah good good moods good vibes and uh, maybe even some good news that we got teased mm. to us after the game of course as it is a tradition after wins coach Peter Vermees and one of the players will go into the Budweiser brew house and cheers with, with some of the fans there. And Peter Vermees maybe teased some news coming down the pipe with Daniel Shallowy saying that this guy is going to be scoring goals uh, here with Sporting Kansas City for a long time. So we had had a lot of conversations, Connell, about what Daniel Shallowy's future looked like. You know, what, how, how was that all going to shake out? And we might have a new contract to be talking about, but no details there yet. Just reading between the lines. Um, but that was a nice little... Nice little, uh, I think, 
bit of news to, to hear and, and certainly is great for Daniel Shallowy, great for Sporting Kansas City. And man, if you, you just think about him continuing to, to, to build chemistry with some of these new attacking pieces and ones that we're anticipating returning next year in Alan Polito and Gadi Kinda. This is a dangerous looking Sporting Kansas City attack. Right. Well, I don't want to put the jinx on him, like, but I, <laughs> I think he might actually break the Dom Dwyer and Preki. Uh, I think so too. I think he it might could break even it. be I this mean, season. Right. One, one, one more game winning goal and look, 13 game winning goals. That says a lot. That's 13 games that if Daniel wasn't there in that spot, Sporting don't take all three points and, and continue the momentum. So great for him and. Honestly, from what it sounds like, obviously we don't have any details yet, but it sounds like great news for sporting fans as well. Yeah, well, and as Daniel said after the game, both to me in our post-game interview and the post-game uh, press conference, he and Johnny Russell, you know, have their eyes on these different records, these club records, and, uh, you know, have it as a goal for themselves to, to go and try and break some of those. So Daniel, very close. You know, we've, we've seen Johnny break different records as well. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on those, but uh, I'm sure there's going to be more coming down uh, in these, you know, maybe not this season, but in the years to come because if Daniel Shalwee sticks around and then you've got Johnny Russell who signed a new deal last year, uh, these guys are going to be competing for a lot more uh, than just trophies here at Sporting Kansas City. But next up, we will have a conversation with Declan Jogi, the new Sporting Kansas City Academy director. Just a fantastic human being. Um, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So I I just, Connell, I mean, what a guy. He is a great I, guy. Like, isn't he? We're just so lucky to have him here as the in that new role as the academy director. And best of luck to him. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Going to make, uh, already has made a huge impact on Sporting Kansas City as a club, but certainly will make an even bigger impact in the years to come in this new role. So that conversation is coming up next year on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sporting KC fans take pride in supporting the team both home and away. When flying to away matches to cheer on the team, or anywhere for that matter, check out the Kansas City International Airport's new terminal progress at buildkci.com. Welcome back to the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm Allie Trost-Martin, Connell McCourt, and now we are joined by Sporting Kansas City's newest academy director, Declan Jogi. How does it sound when you hear your name associated with that title? Kind of surreal a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, exciting every time I hear it. Every time I send an email and I see my new signature, I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> that's me now. Yeah, so uh, yeah, but exciting. And we'll get into a lot more about your new role and, and your vision for, for what that looks like, things that you want to implement now in this, in this position. But I first want to go back and help everyone get to know you a little bit better. So you grow up in Zimbabwe. What was what was life like there? How did you get into soccer? And, and take me into the, the life of, of Declan Jogi before coming over to America and joining Sporting well, Kansas City. Yeah, well, my uh, my dad tells a story that when I was three years old, they, they took me to the store and um, the retail assistant came up and said, oh, you want a ball for your son? And like they went and find these small balls, like plastic ball. And, and my dad looked at him and said, uh, no. He needs a he needs a real soccer ball. <laughs> um, they're like, well, he's only three. Uh, try this one. Um, they're like, no, he needs a real soccer ball. So he found me a, a size four soccer ball and put it in front of me and he said, kick the ball. And I'm left footed and so I ran up and I kicked the ball and I I think I almost broke a, a couple of <laughs> shelf and the attendant was like, yes, okay, he needs a real soccer ball. So I've been playing since I could walk uh, in a country where soccer is the uh, the most popular sport. And so I, I fell in love with the game at an early age. Um, by the time I was eight, uh, 
in my heart, I knew I wanted to be a pro. Every time I was eight, uh, we had the Premier League, was the, the, the league that was on TV at the time. And, uh, at the Zimbabwe old. Premier League. Yes, no, so Zimbabwe Premier League, but the English Premier League. Mm. We used to get one, uh, one show, uh, one, one day a week, we had the English Premier League where they showed one game and some highlights of all the mm -hmm. West games. And uh, in, in my home, even at eight years old, my parents knew that when that was on, that's where the, the channel stayed. <laughs> every week I'm, I'm watching the English Premier League and so became a, a fan of the Premier League and, and just loved the game and already had a, a desire, a, a dream to be to be a, a pro soccer player at, at eight years old. What was your team? Yeah. Uh, Tottenham Hotspurs. Tottenham, ah. so who was the players then? Who would you have been watching that you would have been, I want to be that guy? I loved Glenn Hoddle. Mm -hmm. I loved Glenn Hoddle, uh, Ozzy Ardiles, Ardiles Garth yeah. Crooks. Uh, Gascoigne came mm -hmm. through that area in the in the eighties, and uh, what a player he was! Oh yes, and you know, the first two Argentines in the Premier League, Ozzy Adiles and Rica Villa, mm -hmm. right? Um, so those are the days I grew up watching them and uh, trying to emulate them as a as a young player, mm -hmm. training and playing in the backyard, and, and so yeah, that was a serious was team, that wasn't it? Like I was Ozzy Ardiles, and so where did you play growing up? Then who was your? Were you trying to model yourself on Gascoigne, or was it Glenn Hoddle, or where did you play on the park? Well, I was uh, I, I saw myself as a sh as a as a goal scorer. Okay. Um, I had a creative goal scorer, so a ten slash nine. Mm -hmm. So, but I was also a player that enjoyed enjoyed uh, creating things, um, passing. I wasn't very fast too, so dribbling wasn't was never my uh, strongest suit. Um, so I was a player that liked to create things, off a pass and my movement off the ball. Even at a young age, I kind of saw the game uh, in, a, in a different way, and so. Um, but, you know, just a caveat to my story is I was, um, at eight, I was also diagnosed with a heart condition. Mm. And so I was, st I stopped playing. I was not allowed to participate in any organized fashion um, for many years. I had rheumatic fever. Um, and I was, I started picking up tennis and swimming and some little bit low impact mm -hmm. type activities. And the doctors told me that by the time I'm a, a teenager, late teenager, uh, I will probably grow out of it. You know, it wasn't serious, but serious enough where I wasn't allowed to play high-impact impact sports. So really my my journey and through organized activities in terms of soccer was stopped at eight years old and uh, didn't pick up again until uh, 13, 14. So wow. how did you stay engaged then with the sport? What were you able to do at like in terms of playing soccer when you couldn't maybe do as, as much of the, the high-intensity stuff that's very much associated with, with playing the game. Well, I hope my doctor's not listening, but um, <laughs> we played every recess after school. <laughs> still uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still I It's still hard play. to tell a kid no, yeah. you know, yeah. when they love uh, something. Yeah. So, so I, I kept, I kept, I was active, but I could, I could tell. I mean, I would play and after 10 minutes, I was exhausted. Mm. Like I, I could tell, like I wasn't, I wasn't okay. And, but it didn't stop me, you know, I would rest and go back and play again and, but I definitely had a had a problem. But yeah, I kept I kept playing. I, I didn't I didn't stop kicking the ball. I didn't stop dreaming. I didn't stop believing. I didn't stop playing informally, um, which is honestly a, a large part of of play development. Yeah. Is is what are you doing informally? What are you doing, whether it's by yourself or with a friend, or with a couple of friends or with a group of friends? So if there's 15, 20 of you, I mean, we would play. We had these. Uh, I tell you, bloodbath type of games uh, at school and during recess, one class versus another. You know, you'd play the class above or the class below, and it was gets it, feisty. It was it was feisty, mm. and it, we were even there were places in the playground where the 
the headmaster told us, you guys cannot play there anymore. It was just dust. We had turned the grass into <laughs> dust. <laughs> you know, you guys need to go to another spot and play. You know, it was like that. And that was every day. And that was kind of the life growing up because soccer was the game. And everyone was passionate about it and everybody wanted to be somebody. Uh, and you all had your heroes, local and international. And that was just the life. And So, so yeah. what were the facilities like then when you were growing up playing in school? And then when you got here to the U.S., uh, you played college in Tennessee. Yes. And... Were, they, were those facilities just completely different to what you had grown up playing, or was it kind of similar? You know, we, we, we laugh anytime, even now with the academy, we go somewhere and the field is maybe not so uh, so pristine, pristine as we yeah. used to. Um, we laugh and go, oh, first of all, problem, because where I grew up, the team I play for in the Premier League, the, play, the teams fields we play now are three, four times better than wow. what, what we played on. So I played in the Zimbabwe Premier League, and our home field, we were not allowed to host. We were not allowed to host night games because our floodlights did not meet the requirements. <laughs> no, oh, no. Wow, they were so really? dim for us. We were used to it. Right, right. right. But it, it was like an advantage for you. It was an advantage because yeah. it literally was so dim that in training there you used to it every day. No problem for us, but it didn't meet the requirements. Hmm. You know, and uh, so yeah, resource-wise, um, we didn't have the resources whether you were in the Premier League or at the younger level in the schools. Um, and I went to a private school, so I had access to uh, better better resources. But compared to to the U.S., doesn't even compare. So when you came here and you seen the facilities here, did you find it easier then? Uh, say you're going away to different different o- away grounds that probably weren't as good as the facilities you're used to playing on. Were you find it more at home than some of the other guys in the team, or was it everyone yeah, kind know, of had to adapt? I, I think I think having experienced less i think you get an appreciation for what more is mm. and therefore how does that more help you right um so sometimes i, I look at our facility and i think we're too spoiled mm. because if you've not experienced the other side how do you appreciate what you have what you have yeah i think that is also uh, a plus and a negative there's a negative there too that is is hard to deal with with uh, with the kids coming through having the resources that we have not only in the u.s as a whole because you can play in club environments and fantastic facilities, right? And opportunities and beautiful uniforms, et cetera, et cetera. And, and referees and you have everything, line fields. And and you come from an environment where I grew up where um, that wasn't normal. That was only the rich schools, the bigger clubs had mm-hmm. access to these type of things. So you experience the game uh, at a level where it was bare minimum. And so your passion drove you. Your passion drove you. So when you do get opportunity to see the resource in front of you, you really have an appreciation for what's in front of you. And therefore, I think, you know, for me personally, it it, it helped me push a little bit more. But really more from an appreciation standpoint. Because honestly, where you come from is what dictates your, your, your character a little bit. And so there were certain things that were ingrained in me um, because we had less in terms of opportunities and resources that, doesn't matter what's in front of me now, I'm still going to push because, uh, but with a l- greater sense of appreciation and, and perspective in terms of what's in front of me, you know. We're visiting with Declan Jogi, the new Sporting Kansas City Academy director. And when you talk about that appreciation and, and that passion, in your role now as a coach, how do you inspire and create an environment where players can tap into those things, even if they do have the exposure to and, and the privilege to play in some of, like you said, these very pristine stadiums and, and have all of the all of the extras that that we see now in professional sports and even youth sports up. I don't know. 
uh, I mean, the short answer is if we can solve that equation, I think we, uh, we can tap into every player's mindset and, and help them for, uh, where they are and how they approach it. Right? I, do think, I do think it's always bringing at the core um, the values. I think resources, opportunities, less or more, I, I still think your perspective is also tied to your value system. So I think it's it's pointing the, the picture of what, what at your core as a player and as a staff and as a club, what's at the core, what drives us. It's not the resource that drives us. It's not that we get to plan a beautiful field that drives us. Mm -hmm. What drives us? I think your values will dictate, therefore, your attitudes, and your attitudes now will, will be portrayed in your behaviors. Um, so so um, that's one thing I think as a, as a club that I love about the club is the culture, right? You know, we have four core values. Um, and they've been the same four core values from the beginning. And we dig into those core values and we try to live out those core values and educate and teach the players and create scenarios uh, surrounding which players can latch on to the core values or respond based on the core values. Or if reflect and evaluate, did we uphold the, the core values? And I think regardless of your situation, whether you have more resources, opportunity, it starts with your values and those values will dictate your attitudes and your approach towards things, and then that now will be seen in how you behave and how you carry yourself and how you work or don't work. And I think, I think for me, that's that's uh, paramount. So a little peek behind the curtain here at just what you bring to, to your role as a coach. I think that all of what you're saying is so important and something that, you know, is is something that you, you have to learn in life. It's not something that, you know, kids just come up um, always just inherently knowing. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that you have to actively be aware of. And, and I want to get into more of that, but I, I want to go back to to your days as professional. Y you said that that was always a dream. You recognize that dream. You get to live that dream. When did you know you wanted to be a coach? Uh, I think I think I was always a coach. I think even at a young age, you know, I, I, and I started playing a little more organized again at 13, 14, after, after my heart condition was healed. And um, even at that point, I remember my coaches saying, listen, listen, and they'd give me the floor, you know, to speak to the team. And uh, from an early age, I was always most times captain. Um, and it was because of not just my ability, but the things I would bring in terms of the knowledge of the game and, and passing that on and bringing the team together. Um, and I think that was uh, that was a gift. I think that I, that I recognize. I feel like I had from a young age um, to coach, to to mentor, to bring together. Um, and so I think as I started playing, I started my coaching badges in '98. Uh, I started doing my coaching badges when I was still playing back in in Zimbabwe in the Premier League, um, and I enjoyed that. And I started working also uh, with athletes in action, and that kind of also helped me to start to formulate my ideas about coaching and so I'd work with kids through athletes in action coaching uh, coaching soccer and and sometimes other sports as well through athletes in action but mostly mostly soccer and in that process I think I started to really formulate what I thought my future would be outside of the game I, I was always driven to to continue to push f for more opportunity to play at a higher level but also make more money out of it right mm -hmm. that's kind of that's kind of what you work for as a pro athlete right you work for your first contract and then from there it's about the next contract right so you can you can make a good living for yourself and for your family eventually etc um but i always at, even as a 
as an early pro in the early 90s, um, felt like coaching would be my step after after retiring. Um, so it's funny, when I came to, came to school over here and uh, my counselor, my advisor, from day one asked, you know, what's your, what's your plan? And I told them, well, when I'm done here, I'm going to continue to play. Oh, they said, okay. Um, so senior year, spring of my senior year, hey, how many grad schools have you applied to? You need references, you know, put me down. I said, uh, zero. <laughs> like, what? Are you, are you crazy? Why haven't, why have you not applied? You could get into, I said, I told you from day one, I'm going to coach. You play. packed yourself? I'm yep. going to play and then coach after that. It's like, you're crazy. Um, and I did. So <laughs> I graduated yeah. and I, I went and played with the, with the Eagles for a couple of years and, and then I retired. And while I was also with the Eagles, we had also started a club in Tennessee. Um, so when it retired, I went and coached. Just piggybacking off uh, the back of that, you're saying you always kind of knew that you were like a good mentor. You, that's the type of thing you wanted to do. I picked up on a comment you made last week in your press conference. You said uh, you wanted to mentor young men and instill the values of the club and our culture into them. And it reminded me of a coach I had growing up who uh, he would say that he wanted to create young men who were a positive influence in the community he wanted to go out and make sure that these guys understand the values and the ethics and stuff just with the way the world is now i wonder just you know kids see all the riches and all the the fame and stuff that can come with making it to the very top of professional sports especially soccer and i'm wondering like is it kids see that it's very attractive very appealing to them is it harder to kind of instill those values into younger kids just as the generations move on just because of how global and how worldwide the game is now? I don't know really. Um, it's a good observation. I don't know, I don't know how, uh, how much the idea that I can make a lot of money actually affects the values that the kids are living and learning at the time. Um, I think it's that the environment dictates a lot about children are impressionable. And so they become very much a product of the environment, whether that's at home or at the, at the complex uh, or at school, right? So I think all of those experiences affect the kids and a person's value system. And along the way, the people that you meet that help you reinforce or change or redirect those values I think is what is what you end up with at the end of the day because I can think back to to coaches and people that influenced me along the way as a young man as a young teenager as, as someone who had a dream to be a pro soccer player but still had to go to school and had to get good grades and the cycles where I didn't get good grades because I was only focused on playing mm-hmm. right and being reminded that no school is important and you need to focus on that and you need to graduate um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a balance, it's a journey. Um, so I, I'm not sure how the actual outlook of what global opportunities look like in pro sports really affects uh, the values and the attitudes that, that kids bring to it. I think it's more tied to what does their daily life look like from home to school to extracurricular, which would be now for us would be the kids in the academy, right? I think all those things affect the player's value system and then how they approach and move through life. 
Declan, you've been with Sporting Kansas City since 2015 when you came on as an academy coach. Can you take us through what brought you to Kansas City and what was so appealing to you about the job with Sporting at that time? Well, I think I, I started the press conference uh, a few days ago with this phrase that life is lived on levels and arrived at in stages. And in Tennessee, um, we had started a club and had a vision to to try to change the culture surrounding youth development, particularly in soccer. And so I had the privilege of working with some tremendous soccer minds. Uh, on my former college coach, Matt Lavender, uh, Louis Thorpe, all guys that had come through and worked in the area, the coach at Virginia Inamont College, the coach at Milligan College, all all with the same value system, trying to trying to improve in the development system. And we had several folks that were were getting behind us, uh, parents uh, of and as a player who who's very dear to me still today. Um, he's not playing right now, but he was a big catalyst in in us moving in that direction. Uh, his name is Coy Craft. He had played for Dallas for for a while, and his family, a uh, very important group of people that all together we we worked to to change the culture around player development in that area of, of Tennessee. And so that was our vision. Which I, I would imagine hadn't had it been done before, had it been attempted? There were not clubs. Or in this so way? club soccer was a thing back then, but uh, wasn't very developed. A very grassroots, recreational. There were the odd private or mom and pop club team that mm -hmm. popped up, and there were a few clubs also in place that had come out of that. Um, but the goal was really to unite everybody. And so we set about trying to do that and to kind of unite everybody, unite resources to provide not only a cultural shift in development for players, which became a player centralized developmental plan, but also to to unite everybody, to to, to give, it's ultimately because you're in a small demographic area, a geographic area, which means if you work together, now you give all kids more opportunity mm -hmm. at every level of the game, right? From basic rec level to a level where you have players like a Koi Craft who came out of a small area that who played in the league, you know. So that was the vision. And so we spent many years doing that, a lot of us together, not just me. Um, but I think it had come full cycle. Um, and Matt Lavender, my former college coach, was very instrumental in the, pro in the process. Actually, we went for lunch one day and he said, uh, listen, I think you need to think of an exit strategy. You... Um, We've worked through this together, and we've been committed to this pro this project. We've been committed to each other, but in order to do what you ultimately set out to do, which is one, you put you put the community before yourself, but you've also wanted to work with elite players and really mentor players that have that potential. You're not going to be able to do it here. We only we're going to hit a ceiling here, so you need to be thinking about your next steps. And so at that point, I started to think about what that would be, and. Uh, and for me, it was clear. It was an MLS Academy, you know. So I actually took a bold step. Uh, my wife and I, we talked to Dover, and I, re I resigned. I resigned from, from the club, and I think it was in, uh, was in February where I actually resigned with no job lined up. Wow. Uh, because I also felt it was important to, to be able for the club to put in the next person and not leave them in a place where, where they were struggling to find the next person. So I, I did that process early. So that was in February, and one week later, we found out that my wife is pregnant with my third. Wow, there you oh go. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, so that made me start to think, well, was that a step? Was that a smart decision? Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we've always been, uh, uh, my wife and I, we've always 
approached uh, the journeys in our life, I've always approached my journey as in what's the next step for me, you know. I've always believed in, uh, you know, the, the plans of, it's a proverb that says, the plans of man belong to him, but the Lord directs his steps. So I felt like this was the next step for us, that I needed to do this for the club, make that decision, and we'll see where the next step lands. So um, funny enough, three or four months later in June, I'd, I I kind of had connected to, to John Perry, who was the captain at the time, through Desmond Armstrong, mm-hmm. who had been working with the club at the time. And so I talked to John over the phone, and we, we exchanged a conversation. We talked about potentially coming to visit. Um, and so that was on the table. And so about a couple of months later in June, I get, a, I, get a, I get a text from John, and I'm actually sitting doing registration for a camp. And I get this text like, hey, can you come down this week? I go, wow, I'm about to run a camp, and John is asking <laughs> me to come down, <laughs> and this is my opportunity. Yeah. So um, I reached back out to him, and I said, oh, John, I'm, I'm running a camp right now, and it's got my name on it, so I can't really, can't really leave the camp, but maybe later on in the week I can figure that out. And so anyway, long story short, he said, we, we rearranged another time for me to come and visit, and uh, I'll tell you what stood out for me when I came to visit. It wasn't the resources. It wasn't the facilities. It was conversing with John. It was meeting some of the coaches, and then meeting with Peter and the culture when we talked about who the club is the vision the culture in the club the values that resonated with me um, and th- when I heard that and it connected through those conversations it felt like this is the place that I, I love to take that next step right what would be that next stage for me that next level um, was the culture you know, and uh, that also involved, for me, it was not just, okay, what's the right landing spot? The culture was a big piece. But it was also, for me, I needed to find a place where I knew I would be, again, challenged to grow again as a coach um, while working with the elite players, you know. That's – and I, I wish we could talk with you for, you know, just a couple of hours because you've just got so such great insights, such an interesting background, and I can just – your love of the game and, and coaching – is so evident. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this one last question because you talked a lot in your press conference, Declan, about family. And you talked about the family um, atmosphere within the club. You talked about your own family, the importance that, uh, of your family, especially in this decision uh, for this new role. So I'll just keep it broad for you. What does family mean to you? Oh, Ellie, how much time we have left? No, you, you can go as long as you want. I just don't want to take up too much of your time. But no, I, I think it, that was one of the things that really stuck with me after after you addressed the media last week. So where I come from, culturally, your family, so you have different levels in a family. So your fourth and fifth cousin is your family. We don't call them my second, my third. It's family. Mm-hmm. So we would, so for example... On New Year's Day every year, everyone will show up at uh, my grandfather's place. And not my grandfather, but my grandfather, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we would show up at my grandfather's place. He would kill a cow. And we would grill and we would enjoy each other on New Year's Day. And every year, I would meet new family. Because that's, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Culturally, in Africa, your family is broad. It's very big. And your love and concern for them is the same. Whether I met you today or knew of you for 10 years, you have my ultimate trust and my devotion. I got your back. You have my back. And so family is very broad where we come from. But family is dear. It is important. And we take care of each other. And we, we want to be with each other, which is 
a very important part of it. So coming to the US, some cultural differences where landing in the South was great because Southern culture I think is very, very close to African culture in terms of community and family and taking time, right? Taking time to be with people, taking time to have a conversation. Even if it's a business conversation, you mm -hmm. can call um, you can call a bank and they'll be happy to talk to you about the day, <laughs> about the weather, about your family, right? Oh, we haven't seen you in here. Where have you been? Uh, oh yeah, I, I want to check on my balance. Oh, I will get to that in a second. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. right. it's very communal. Um, and so family is an important part of your, your community and it extends to your community. And so when we come, when, when, I, when I landed at Spono, land in the U.S., I found that too. I was very fortunate to be able to live with a host family um, that brought me in like one semester in, you know, to my college life. And, um, and they're my family. <laughs> and they're still my family today. Um, and I love them dearly. And so family just kind of keeps growing. And so that aspect now narrows down to right, your immediate family, your, my wife, my, my three boys, my three beautiful little boys. And... So I think I shared in the part the, uh, the press conference, my, first, my wife's first statement was, make sure it doesn't fracture our family because we value that. You know, look, I've heard, it, I've heard people say, nobody goes to get to the end of life and say, oh, I wish I spent more time on the job. Right. <laughs> right? True. It, it always, everyone ties back to what matters the most. What do you care about the most? What do you care about the most? And I think if you ask anybody, the, the, from the workaholic till, till the bum on the street, I think you can always tie something back to family. And when you have conversations with those people, the most dearest parts of their heart always ties back to family. Um, so I think it's important. I think when we talk about the academy and the club, I think we as a staff have very good working relationships, but also um, at times take time to enjoy each other outside of the working relationships. Uh, but we know why we're here too. We're here for the job. Right. We, we have a job and everyone is passionate about the job and puts in the time and puts in the work uh, and is motivated to ac accomplish the mission. We're here for a job. We have a mission. Um, and I have a mission now as a, as a cabinet director and it's, it's to get players through the pathway and into the first team. And that's the mission. And we're going to do it and we're going we're gonna to do it with a lot of energy. We're going to invest a lot of time into it. And the club and the owners are investing a lot of resources in that aspect, and so we are committed to that. Um, but it's also important to remember that all our staff have families, and all our kids have families, right? So I think it, it all ties together, which goes back to your values. Um, how do you find that that balance? There'll be times of imbalance, right? Life is there's moments where you have to commit long hours to the job and get things done, right? And then there's times where you have to you have to make draw a line and say. This is this is important. I gotta, I gotta be at, at my kids. Family time. Whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's family time. Whatever it is, I think that's, uh, I think that's important because, like I said again, nobody, from Peter to Cliffy, like I don't think anybody's gonna get to the end of life and go, I wish I'd done more. Yeah. <laughs> wish I'd spent on, more time at the, the job, office. Yeah. It's, it's For sure. You know, most people will always look back and say, maybe I could have done a little bit more with my family. So, um, it's the world we live in too, right? It's it's mm -hmm. the commitment we make, uh, um, and and. And you commit to it, and, and you get it done. But uh, I think that's the that's the art to living, isn't it? Yes, 100%. It's finding that balance. Absolutely, and right. especially after you know the last few years, I think um, that 
that uh, clarity of what is really important in life, you know, I think it crystallized for a lot yeah. of people. And I can say with certainty that the Sporting Kansas City family is better having you a part of it and just the impact that you have made and will continue to make, especially in this new role. Declan, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. It's been so great getting to know you better and just look forward to all the great things ahead. Uh, and congratulations again. Thank you, Ali. Connor, thank Indeed. you. Congratulations, Declan. It's My great pleasure. to have you, man. There is Declan Jogi, the new Sporting Kansas City Academy director. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show here on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show, presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show, presented by Michelob Ultra. I'm Allie Trose Martin. That's Connell McCord, and just so much insight gained from Declan Jogi there. I can't wait to go back and, and re-listen and, and maybe jot down some notes now that, you know, got, you know, get through the interview was just so engaged in that conversation, but definitely want to take some of the pieces of advice or, or just knowledge that he kind of shared with us there. He's just such an inspirational guy. Like, I mean, seems so grounded, so level-headed and stuff. And when he's speaking to you, he kind of, you know, he gets across everything that, that he means to say, you know, it's, Kind of enlightening being in his uh, in his presence, so it was great to have him on. Yeah. And, uh, best of luck to him in, in his uh, his new role as academy director. Yeah, no surprise, um, you know, getting to, to chat with him there. Uh, why Sporting Kansas City would select him for that role, and, and something we didn't get to talk about uh, during our conversation there, but he did mention during his introductory press conference last week was just you know, kind of what that process looked like and, and how at times it felt so long of, you know, just waiting for, for the news. Did he get it? Did he not? You know, but ultimately was so thankful for that process because in being selected as a new academy director, it almost, you know, kind of reaffirmed like this was, I am the right choice because right. they were so thoughtful um, in, in that process and, and wanting to make sure that they appointed the right person and no, I mean, can totally see why Declan Jogi was the right person for the job. So congrats to him again, wishing him all the luck in the world moving forward. But now looking ahead, Connell, Sporting Kansas City will hit the road this weekend, Labor Day weekend, to take on the LA Galaxy. This will be a big Western Conference match. They just are coming off of a win over the New England Revolution at New England uh, on Sunday of this past weekend, 2-1, and now head to Toronto to play on Wednesday before heading back home to take on Sporting Kansas City. They're sitting in seventh place right now, so they're kind of teetering, you know, out of the playoff picture, in the playoff picture. And, I mean, look, like we talked about, any game down the stretch here was going to be important for Sporting to go out and get a win, but especially against these Western Conference opponents that they can steal points from. Absolutely. It'll be intriguing to see how it works out, uh, them going up to Toronto, see what kind of lineups they throw out, because coming back against us, you think they're, they're going to want to beat the teams in the West, try and get the, rack the points up in the West. Um, they're a tough team. They're, you see, because most I watched the New England game last week, was very much like our game. They got battered like LA. They were under a lot of pressure for a lot of the game. Kind of like in our game, they had most of the possession, but I mean, I think we had twice as many shots as them. And it was the same thing uh, in the New England game, but they have players that can make a difference. They have players that all they need is one chance and, you know, they, they can they can really tear you to shreds. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we beat them at our place here, so they'll be wanting to get us back one. But they have their new... Ricky Pouge, their new uh, signing from Barcelona. They've got him in. He got an assist uh, against New England. So it'll be interesting to see how, how we line up against him because he's a tricky enough player. Yeah. But, I mean, 
as far as Peter and, and the boys, I don't think there's anything that they have to fear going out here. Well, I, I, I think for Sporting Kansas City, you just kind of focus on yourself at this point. I, I mean, they've they've solved the problem in front of goal. They, they've been putting the ball in the back of the net at a record rate and have started to kind of shore up some of the defensive errors as well. So I, I think it's just continuing to, to look inward and, and keep putting out complete performances. But Ricky Pooch, that was not a player that was on the field when they played them last month. So mm-hmm. he'll be one to watch for sure. And I mean, that assist, by the way, was like Ugh. one of the most beautiful balls. If you haven't seen it, uh, go look it up. That was probably one of the, the passes of the year in Major League Soccer. Just and the way him and Chicharito, like, I mean, how long have they played together? Probably a week or yeah. a few weeks. And the way they're just on the same wavelength, the ball, he knows when to make the run. The ball's perfectly weighted and Chicharito doesn't miss too many in front of the goal when it gets to that yeah. to that point. So, yeah, it, it'll definitely be uh, something for the boys to think about. But the way we've been playing, I, I wouldn't fear anyone. Yeah, no, it, it'll be a great game. Uh, you can can watch that one come Sunday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We'll have the local coverage for you on that one uh, on that game. 38 the spot, Sporting KC app and streaming live on the web and on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Another match this weekend uh, that's in Kansas City at Children's Mercy Park. The U.S. Women's National Team taking on Nigeria. So. Before you get to enjoy sporting on your television on Sunday, be sure to head out to Children's Mercy Park and get tickets online at ussoccer.com. That's one of two international friendly matchups. And Kansas City Current's own Haley Mace on the roster for that one. So you can go watch uh, Local Connection, but so many stars uh, with the U.S. Women's National Team. So going to be a great game, 12.30 p.m. Central Time, Saturday, uh, September 3rd is the the date and time for that match at Children's Mercy Park. Get your tickets online at ussoccer.com. And that's going to do it for us. For Connell McCourt, I'm Allie Trost-Martin. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We so appreciate you. And we'll see you next week.